our message time, and if you're new here, what we do uh, often is just actually walk through a section of, of Scripture. And we do that all the time, but right now we're going through a book of the Bible, the book of Acts. Um, we'll not get through it uh, all before we sort of take a break and do something else. But today we're in Acts chapter 16. Hopefully you have a Bible with you. Uh, or, you know, just go to your online Bible. Today we're in Acts chapter 16, and I'm asking the, the question today, the, the title of today's message is, Are You the Christian Type? You know, I have a particular blood type, so, so do you. I don't know what your blood type is, uh, A positive, A negative, oh, what, what, but we all have a blood type, and uh, I have a personality type, and you have a personality type. Uh, assuming you have a personality, you have, you have a personality uh, type. And, um, you know, my, my Myers-Briggs personality, for example, I'm an I'm a, a e, ENTJ. And uh, that particular personality and, you know, they're different combinations. We all, that means we all have, I have, you have certain tendencies that have to be muzzled and harnessed under the tutelage of the Holy Spirit, uh, otherwise uh, chaos can, can ensue. Well, are you the Christian type? And you may be here saying, you know, I just don't see myself as the Christian type. You're with us online, and by the way, we're so glad to have you with us. Uh, you might be saying, you know, I'm just not sure I could see myself as a, I'm not sure I'm the Christian type. Or, Ronnie, you don't know my family, I've got somebody in my family, and I just don't know they're the Christian type. I believe you are. You are the Christian type. And in, in today's narrative, we're going to see different types of people make a response uh, to Jesus. Okay, let me put a map up here on the screen. Um, so what you have here uh, in our section of Scripture today, we're in what's called Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, he and uh, Barnabas have decided to go their separate ways. Barnabas has taken John Mark. He's gone one direction. And you have Paul and Silas, and, and that duo then became a trio because they added Timothy. And in today's section of Scripture, you're going to see them actually become a golf foursome. They're going to add Luke uh, to their missionary team. In fact, for you, you Bible students, you'll be introduced today to what's called the we sections in the book of Acts. That's because Luke, who wrote Acts, will start to say, from time to time, so we did this and we did that. Well, okay, back to the map. So if you'll look uh, almost at 12 o'clock on the map, uh, you see Philippi. Philippi is in uh, Greece, ancient Macedonia. And so today you're about to see the gospel, you're about to see Christianity born in Europe. You're about to uh, encounter the first European converts uh, to Christianity. Now, if you see uh, Troas, that's where this story will sort of start. And let me just, I'm, I'm telling you this to say something else, which is they didn't want to be in Troas. That's not where they wanted to be. That's not where they planned to go. Paul said, Luke said, we wanted to go to Bithynia, and then the Holy Spirit would let us go there, so we wanted to go to Asia. 
They wanted to go to Asia. They wanted to go to Bithynia. They wanted to preach and start churches there. But they, they're in Troas, and they're going, why are we in Troas? And they're going to end up in Philippi, and they'll be sort of going, how did we end up in Philippi? Let me just touch on something I'll remind you of later. Make your plans in pencil. It's good to make plans, but you give those plans to God. You say, well, I'm going to Asia. I'm going to Bithynia. I, have, I believe God's will for me is to... God might give you something different, and quite honestly, he might give you something better, and he might surprise you along the way. Okay, Acts 16, we'll start to read here at uh, verse 9. So during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia, Greece, Europe, and help us. Well, after Paul had seen the vision, we, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so from Troas, we put out to sea, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for several days. They're in Greece, for crying out loud. Aristotle, Socrates, Zeus. One Bible student said, it's like someone educated at Harvard is saying, would you come teach us? You have information we need to know. So on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down and we began to speak to the women who had gathered there. And one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. What that means is she's a wealthy businesswoman She's driven, she's smart, she's savvy, she's well-known, she's well-respected. If you're dealing in purple, you know, they didn't, they didn't have brands, but they had colors. And purple, you know, I mean, if you're a dealer in purple, you're high-end fashion. And that's Lydia. And Paul basically does a little Bible study with her. And notice this, it says that she was a worshiper of God. So she's open to the Lord. She's not yet a Christian, but the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Isn't that a fantastic phrase? How does a person come to know the Lord? How does a person grow in the Lord? Does, it, does God do it all? Do you do it all? Notice the wonderful partnership here. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Paul never thought he was um, responsible for converting another person, simply responsible for presenting the message. And we're the same way. And so Lydia is the first Christian now on European soil even though she was from Asia, from Thyatira, 
And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. And if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Now, she is not inviting Paul's missionary team to come to her house for a 45-minute tea on Thursday afternoon. She's saying, I have resources, and I want you to use my house, my estate, and I'm going to be one of your benefactors. I want you to use my house as ground zero for launching your work in Philippi and beyond. And let me just say to you, for those of you with affluence, I hope you'll be like Lydia. Don't make someone twist your arm. Be that eager person who says, hey, how can I help? What can I subsidize? What can I energize? Using your affluence for great influence. Well, as uh, the story continues, so once when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future, and she could actually do this. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. You've heard of human trafficking? This is human trafficking. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, and what she says is absolutely true. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. These men are servants of the Most High God, telling you the way to be saved. And she follows Paul's team around Philippi, and she's like a chatty Cathy doll just over and over and over saying the same thing. And she kept this up for many days. And finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. And you would think, oh, everybody's ecstatic and overjoyed, right? No. You do know that evil can be lucrative. And the human traffickers are not overjoyed that their cash cow has been healed, if you'll pardon the expression. And so when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates, and they said, these men are Jews, anti-Semitism, and they're throwing our city into an uproar, false accusation, by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Hey, let me just remind you of something you know, but sometimes it just needs to be stated again and again. Just because someone says something doesn't make it true. Okay? Just because someone says something doesn't mean it's true. All right? I'm not saying you disbelieve everything, but be discerning. Test everything. Um, let me pause for a moment and just say a word about human trafficking. You know, one of our mission efforts, for example, is in Nepal. And so part of your tithes and offerings, uh, Nepal is known as a place where, unfortunately, slave trading, human trafficking 
It's rampant. Uh, one of our missions ministries in Nepal is to fight and rescue those who've been victimized by human trafficking. It certainly continues to happen, not just on the foreign soil, but right here, especially in the Texas Triangle of Dallas, uh, San Antonio, Houston. Many people think of human trafficking as, you know, from the movie Taken, where everything is by force. And the only way to extract someone from human trafficking is by having a particular set of skills where you can extract that person. But it is said that in terms of human trafficking, that's a very small percentage. That most people are lured and deceived. And adults, one of the best things that we can do in teaching younger people, teaching our children, especially our daughters and younger women, is there are appropriate places to be vulnerable, but online is not one. Online is not one. Be vulnerable with a friend. Be vulnerable with your parents. Be vulnerable with another adult that maybe your parents have vetted and said, oh, this is okay. Maybe a counselor. But don't be vulnerable online. There are people waiting to lure you when you say, I just feel so ugly. Oh, no, you're not. Oh, I just, you know, my parents don't get me, you know, my, my parents are, are clueless. I know how you feel, my parents are the same way. And Don't be that target. So this young lady in Philippi is delivered. But Paul and Silas are now attacked. By the mob. And so the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. They were thrown not just in a cell, in the inner cell. And where they were thrown would make modern-day prisons look like a five-star resort. Their feet were placed in stocks, meaning more than likely their feet were elevated higher than their uh, upper body. This is not a pleasant experience at all. And so what, how should Paul and Silas react to such injustice? What had they done wrong? Preach the gospel? Heal a young lady? What have they done wrong? And here they are, languishing in a cell after having, after having been beaten severely. Here's how they respond. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. You do know that worship does not depend on your circumstances, don't you? Worship, you can worship anywhere, anytime, and it doesn't depend on your circumstances. It depends on your convictions and your values. Actually, I've been here. 
I've been in a prison before and had wonderful worship experiences. Some of the most meaningful worship experiences I've had or I've witnessed in a hospital room. Someone with hardly any muscle tone left would even raise their arm and praise. <laughs> I drive a Toyota Camry, and I am able to create a Goldilocks zone in my Toyota Camry. Uh, I can. Um, I'm able to set the temperature, for example. It's not just low, medium, and high. I can set it at 73. If I think, that, oh, that's not cool enough, I can turn it to 72 or 74. I have seat warmers. I have air conditioning that comes through my seat. If Martha's with me, I can hit a button and she can adjust her side or my side. Music, I can listen to 60s. With one press of a button, I can listen to 70s. The greatest decade of music, by the way. Amen. Amen. 80s. 90s. I don't know why I would do that. I never hit that button. You know. If I want to listen to Elvis, one by Elvis, I can create a Goldilocks zone. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it's wonderful that we live in a culture where we are privileged to have so many comforts and choices around us. But brothers and sisters, we can't become Goldilocks worshipers. We want to teach our children and we want to have the kind of faith that says, Listen, there's nothing wrong with having a fantastic worship environment, but when it's less than ideal, bring your praise to God. He is worthy of it in the Goldilocks zone, and he's worthy of it in a hospital bed or in a prison when things are not ideal. As Habakkuk would say, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines and the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food and there's no sheep in the pen, there's no cattle in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in the Lord and I'll be joyful in God my Savior. And my friend, the atmosphere in that prison changed and the atmosphere around you will change when we bring a sacrifice of praise to God. And suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. And the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword. He was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. You see, if you were a jailer and the prisoners escaped on your watch, you paid for it with your life. He said, I'm going to save myself the trouble and the embarrassment and the humiliation. He was about to take his own life. 
But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Don't hide your plane over there. I know you harmed us. And now the doors are open and we can make a beeline out of here. And even though you harmed us, don't harm yourself. We're right here. Is it possible that Paul and Silas, it's dawning on them that maybe even this prison cell can be a platform for ministry? Maybe God has us here, and instead of saying, why God, why, maybe we can ask, how God, how might you use me even in this distasteful assignment don't harm yourself we're all here so the jailer he calls for lights he rushed in he fell trembling before Paul and Silas and he then brought them out and he asked sirs what must I do to be saved and the most succinct answer to that question in all the scriptures is next believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved you're in your household And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, the very wounds he had inflicted. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household So after reading through that narrative, let me just highlight four quick lessons, and here's the first one. Plan in pencil. It's good to plan. It is. Nothing wrong with making plans. It's a wise, good thing to do. But give God permission, and you know how I mean that. I mean that tongue-in-cheek. He's got permission. (laughs) Give God permission to alter those plans. Now, sometimes... People will will say that, but they tend to put a negative twist on it, like, oh, you never know, God's going to throw you a curveball. Sometimes that does happen. You make some plans, and and, and something unsettling comes your way. That's true. But sometimes God surprises you with something wonderful that's more than you can even ask or imagine because he's a good, good father. And he will often surprise you. In fact, sometimes I prayed with somebody this morning and prayed that very prayer. Would you surprise them in such a good way? Plan. Plan in pencil. Secondly, the gospel is for everyone. <laughs> there is no just one Christian type. or just a, or there's, there's no type that... Uh, for whom the gospel is not intended. Rich, poor, black, white, younger, older, from good families or broken families. We all have one invitation to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for forgiveness and renewal in the Holy Spirit. There's no just type for becoming a Christian. Are you the Christian type? Yes, you are. 
And what that means is then the church is a place where many different types can find unity in Christ, the kind of unity you'll not find anywhere else. You do know that Christianity is the only religion that's never been dominated by one part of the world. Yes, it started in Jerusalem. It begins to grow and spread. We read today in Acts 16, okay, it now has a base in in Europe. And today, Christianity, today, there are more African Christians, more Latin American Christians, Asian Christians, Korean Chinese Christians than in all of Western Europe and North America combined. Because Christianity is a religion where there's just no type. There's no culture that it's native to. No one personality type. It's not just for the rich. It's not just for the poor. It's not just for men. It's not just for women. It's not based on any human factor. It's an invitation to all. What's the old song? I I used to sing it growing up. The blessed gospel is for all. Thirdly, would you give God an opportunity to open a heart? Give God an opportunity to open a heart. Remember this phrase from verse 14? The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. I'm not responsible for filling your bucket spiritually. I am responsible for sort of emptying mine. And we have opportunities to give God an opportunity to nurture a heart. Lydia You know, what's faith? Faith is basically responding to information, responding to a message. Paul did that. But let me apply it not just to a a person who's not yet a believer. As Christians gather, let's give God, let's give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to nurture our hearts, to nurture one another, to do something wonderful, to remind us of who we are and the and the wonders we have in Christ. And here's what I mean. Sometimes believers can get together and be together for an hour and a half, two hours regularly. And not talk about anything that gives God an opportunity to nurture a soul. If I just lean into my own human nature, here's what I'm going to talk about always. You ready? Here's either the mundane or the negative. That's where I'm going. Mundane, how about those Astros? Can you believe they lost yesterday, three to two? And there's nothing wrong with talking about mundane. In fact, talking about mundane stuff sort of gives us a platform, and that's, that's, that's life. But if I just lean into my human nature, I'm just going to talk about either the mundane or the negative. Can you believe that uh, I don't like this? And And there are believers who will get together and, and hardly ever go beyond either the mundane or the negative. 
Will you be that person, though, who will give God something to work with where you can nurture, where God can nurture a heart and stir a soul and the Holy Spirit can do something? Maybe it's something as simple as, you know, this week in my devotional time, everybody, let me just share with you something that I was reading. Maybe it will encourage you. Or, you know, here's a ministry that's going on, something that happened in our church that just I just thought it was really inspirational and encouraging. And let me share this piece of good news with you. And uh, you give God a chance to work in hearts by saying something that's good news-centered. Thankfully, when Paul went down to the river and he met Lydia, he gave God something to work with. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And very quickly, number four, seasons of trouble, they can be platforms for ministry. Um, God, how can you use me in this? And for all of us as believers, uh, we got to see it coming and see it through. See a difficult season coming, know it's coming, but also see it through with, with praise. Because even in that prison experience, God does give us a chance to put his grace on display. So church, after reading through Acts 16, apply it. Don't miss it. Just sort of reflect on it. For example, like Lydia, use your affluence for good influence. Like Paul and Silas, be willing to keep praising God even in a less than ideal setting. Like Paul, let's respond to injustice with some grace and love. Don't harm yourself. We're still here. And like the jailer, after you've had your heart opened, be baptized. Make amends. Clean up maybe some of the wounds you caused. Live for the king.